We've got a new episode of Swings and Mishes coming up. For almost 50 years, all year cooling has been the place that keeps all of South Florida cool. Listen, it is April, and then you know, living here in South Florida, summer is coming, and you do not want to wait to have your system checked. You do not want to wait to replace your unit. You know how this goes. It gets very hot here, basically from the end of April into May and all the way through the summer into the fall. To give you an idea, 10 years ago, I called Tommy Smith at all year. He is the owner. He's been the owner, he and his family, for decades. And I purchased a new unit from them. And here we are, 10 years later, I've had absolutely zero issues, and they have the best customer service of any air conditioning company I've ever used. In fact, I think I may have called Tommy twice personally in 10 years. I needed some help. And within the hour, they're at my house. They show up very professional they do a great job and then i'm good to go for months and months and years they're incredible in fact if you schedule a new unit installed before the afternoon they will come and put a new unit in your house in the same day no one in south florida can guarantee that they offer up to 60 month financing and remember i personally use all year cooling and tommy has been a personal friend of mine for over 10 years you call him you let him know you want a cool unit in your house this summer don't wait till june till it breaks down you have to do it now call 866-381-3554 or while you're listening to this podcast take your phone out go to their website allyearcooling.com click on the call now button you'll get connected directly to them and by the way my friend the owner tommy smith You can text him directly from your phone from the website right now, and he'll set you up. All Year Cooling is my personal place to go. They keep my home cool. They keep my family cool for more than a decade. The number again, 866-381-3554. What's up, baseball fans, and welcome to another episode of Swings and Mishes. Uh, An actually very exciting episode because Five Reasons Sports has just launched our website, fivereasonsports.com. If you haven't had a chance to check it out, you can check out all of the podcasts in the Five Reasons Sports Network, including our own Swings and Mishes. Just go to the podcast page and you can find us. And that's actually probably where you're finding this episode. So we're very excited about that and also very excited because this is our first episode of the actual Marlins season. There have been regular season baseball games played, and we are here and ready to talk about all of it. I'm your producer, Jeremy Taché, joined by Craig Mish. And Craig, we're just going to get right into everything here with the Marlins. As we stand, the Marlins are two and four, but there have been signs of life. Uh, They did split with the Colorado Rockies, and I'm just wondering what you've seen so far from the team. Yeah, I think that the results from a pitching perspective have been very encouraging all of their young starters, two through five, have really moved their spring training performances into the regular season, at least initially. Of course, you have to temper a little bit of that expectation because they're going to go on the road this weekend, and next week they're going to play in some very difficult ballparks. They're going to play against the Braves. They're going to play at Cincinnati. They're going to come back to South Florida next week and play against the Phillies, who look out of this world, too. But I think that at least initially the results have been very good. And in terms of each pitcher, Lopez made an excellent first start, really impressed with him. Sandy Alcantara went eight innings into his first start of the season, which is deeper than any pitcher in Major League Baseball. 
And so you have to look at those two starters and say, wow, they've, they've done a fantastic job, not to mention Caleb Smith, who had eight strikeouts and five innings in his first time out. And I'm very high on Caleb Smith to start the season. So Mel Stottlemyre Jr., their pitching coach, who we're going to hear from coming up here in just a few minutes, I think has done a fantastic job with this team. And I think that they recognize what the strength of this club is, which is pitching. Make no mistake about it. In terms of their bullpen, it's a little bit of a mixed bag, I think, and a work in progress using different players in different spots. I am a little concerned that they'll have to use these guys quite a bit, and I don't know that, that they have the pedigree to be able to do that. Nick Anderson has looked really good. has been a surprise piece for me. I didn't see him pitching as well as he has. Romo, for the most part, has done a nice job. Conley's been a little bit hit or miss, and Steckenrider, to this point, has not looked great. So... Uh, you know, as the season progresses, I think things will, will shake itself out. But I think at least early on in the first week, I've been very impressed with their starting pitching, which really hasn't been a huge surprise, Jeremy. I think that where it's still a work in progress is going to be the hitting. They have manufactured hits. I am a little bit worried that the team is barely walking. Other than Granderson, no one is taking pitches. Uh, Brian Anderson, although he did look good uh, one night, has gotten off to a slow start. Brinson has looked good against Jason Vargas. Otherwise, I know he's hit the ball very hard in some spots, but still we're going to have to wait and see. What is the moral of the story? It is April. Right. we got a long way to go to get this all figured out, but there have been some very encouraging signs. I think maybe offensively the two biggest encouraging signs for me have been Prado who I really had some question marks going into the season. I thought I think Prado has been swinging the bat great. Yep. And also Starling Castro, who I think mm -hmm. this team is trying to resurrect some value as much as they possibly can going into the trade deadline. I think he has looked good as well. So to not focus on the negative, I think it's very obvious. You look at the stats, you see this team striking out. You don't see them walking. I think we knew that this was going to happen going into the season. So uh, pitching has been very good. Hitting has been okay. And certainly we're going to have to figure this out as we go because there's still a long way to get things sorted out. Right. A couple of extra little bright spots, actually. JT Riddle has had his weird two pinch hit home runs. Uh, and Miguel Rojas, you're actually getting offensive production out of the shortstop yeah. position, no matter who's there, which is cool. And then the long, not long forgotten, but of the four young guys, the guy that we're not probably going to spend most of our time talking about because his best pitch is a changeup is Trevor Richards, who also looked great, and he goes tonight uh, again. So these four young guys have looked great. Unfortunately, uh, the, the ace of the staff or your opening day starter, Jose Ureña, has struggled out of the gate, but he's a guy that could be very hot and cold. So like you said, the pitching is going to be what carries this team, and they'll be in most games most of the year because of it. Unfortunately, uh, there haven't been a lot of people there to see them play these games. Yeah, yeah it's uh, attendance been has been really disappointing so far, especially with all of the beautiful uh, revamps to the ballpark. I mean, it looks amazing. If you haven't had a chance to see it, you got to go. And I'm just, uh, what are your thoughts about the fact that there, there's nobody at these games? Yeah, it's been a focus again here lately. Uh, Maury Brown tweeted out the Marlins attendance figures, and and this is a story that comes up every year. And and I'll give you my perspective on it when when we were watching games in the old ballpark it was like the in thing to do to to send out pictures of how few people were at those games in the old stadium in dolphin stadium pro player stadium 
when they moved into the new ballpark, I just kind of said to myself, you know something? Like, what, what is really getting accomplished here by doing it? So I was guilty of that, and it was in the old days of Twitter, and I, and I stopped doing it completely because there was just no point. We know that going into last year, the Marlins decided they were going to be more transparent with the attendance figures, and they were going to release actual figures on attendance as opposed to the inflated ones. So that certainly was a good sign from them. But I will say it was disappointing to start the season and see Saturday night and see Friday night a few people attending. And given the fact that the franchise is trying as hard as they possibly can to engage fans, it just hasn't seemed to work. And so, yeah, winning cures all, Jeremy, and I certainly hope it does. I've maintained that I don't have the recipe. I don't have the answer. And, and I said it publicly and on Twitter that I can't understand how everybody wouldn't just go to one game just to see and for that curiosity level just right. to see. But people are, obviously have, have chosen, it, at least in the early part of the season, not to do that. Um, I, I would recommend, and I've recommended this, don't know that this is the answer at all, by the way, but all kids should be able to go to Marlins games for free. They do it in, in other, other stadiums. 12 and under, let them all in. Parents are going to have to pay. When we had the press conference the other day at Marlins Park, I asked Marlins CEO Derek Jeter very specifically. It was the one question. I asked two questions, but the one question that I asked, what are you doing for the kids in this ballpark? And his answer was engaging the kids in the community by having all kinds of Little League initiatives and a local kid and that's fantastic and I think it's great and it's something that needed to be done more so good answer by him but at the same time that is not going to get a million kids to go to these games right during the season so don't know if it'll work if I was a Marlins employee my suggestion would be let all kids go to games free how are they going to get to the games they are going to have to have their adults take them to games and pay for tickets and buy food and buy memorabilia inside the ballpark I don't know if that's the recipe to success but it's just a suggestion of mine that I think it would work I have a young son he likes going to the games he knows a few of the players he does not he cares if the Marlins win or if they lose but not really he's just going there to have an outing with his dad he knows who a few of the players are and that's what's important to him and I think that's what's important to kids if you get those kids in and you get those kids on a Sunday or now that they play games earlier sometimes during the weekend on Saturdays at 6 o'clock and they go to their mom or dad and say, I had a great time at that game. I want to go back. You don't right. think the parents at that point would be willing to say, you know what, if he likes it, that's something to do. Let's all go. That would be my suggestion. But, Jeremy, it's a tired topic. I don't love diving into it, yep. but I understand it is making the rounds again on social media so here we go again to me I like to focus more on the on the field stuff and that's my niche is is kind of finding out some of the intrigue as to what's happening with the club from a baseball perspective but certainly I understand that it does move the needle a little bit for people so here we are again you know it's funny I wonder how much of it and I know it's affected my own brother and dad they haven't gone to a game yet because they've got to save up to spend money to see one of Wade's last home games. And I wonder if that's actually affected the bottom line of some sports fans, dual sports fans. And maybe if they'll get there in May and you know, June, once they're out of it, I, I, I doubt it, but maybe a few, you know, a few people here and there. Um, it, it was, it was really over the course of the year. I don't get caught up in it. I will say that for me personally, it was disappointing after opening day on that Friday, Saturday to see yeah. so few people. 
and then for this Mets series to see so few. And I just hate to talk about it. It is so right. it is so annoying because we tend to go over it every year. But I do understand that it is news when a Major League Baseball team doesn't get people in their ballpark. But it is very surprising to me that that fans in the community can't engage themselves and just see what these kids are trying to do and go one time just to try, just to see a game. I hear from so many people that say that, they're not going or they have, well, why? What is the answer? Right. And it, it, they're, they're definitely up against it. Winning hopefully will cure this thing. But for the time being, I would think that everybody listening to this podcast would go to one game yes. and, then, and then tweet at me and tell me what you liked or what you didn't like. And so at least I have some reasoning so I could put this together and try and find the answers here. But my only answer is I would just – and it, it has nothing to do with my kids personally. It just I would like to see – them engage kids because when the team is good three or four years from right. now they will remember that they went and they had a good time but i i don't know that that is the answer either it's like the hashtag let the kids play that the mlb is putting out let there the let, the let the kids in let the kids in let the kids and, go and i don't know if that's the answer either, but, <laughs> but we're making the rounds again by the way to go to go back to the to the baseball side of it again for yeah. a minute the one thing that is interesting to me to see if this will develop is the the one news piece I think that we had over the last week was Garrett Cooper getting hurt mm. and him not staying on the field and, and how badly he wants to be on the field. And then the Marlins uh, going back to Peter O'Brien, who, who did get his first hit of the season, but has struggled. I, I think that offensively what the Marlins are going to have to do at some point is find a couple of guys who are willing to take pitches. Cause that could really lead to some more runs being driven in. And, and I know that some spots they've come off empty and they've left some, some men on scoring position, but the two things that I would like to see a change changed in terms of approach when they go on the road, one would be to see players other than Curtis Granderson taking more pitches and getting on base. That's one. And the second is finding some sort of remedy for these shifts. They're, they're doing a lot of shifts defensively that seem to be at least magnified when they don't work and some double plays have been taken away. And I think the manager, Don Mattingly, addressed that. So I know shifting is, is very in in baseball, and maybe it is just magnified when it doesn't work, but it does seem to me a little bit on the much side to start the season. So I'm curious to see how that will play out as we move forward. I'm totally anti-shift, but that's me just being blissfully no, I'm good ignorant. with it. I'm, I'm, I'm good with it, ignorant. but <laughs> it seems like it's cost them a couple of times at least. Which is weird. So I don't, I don't want to to harp on that, but I, I think that these guys are a lot smarter than me, and they, they'll, they'll go back in, in the clubhouse mm -hmm. and – and they'll take a the, look at the analytics, and they'll get that figured out. But it, but it does feel like it has been a little bit too much to start the season. On the other side of things here, we're done with the homestand. The Marlins are about to head on the road. Uh, they're going to face the Braves and the Reds before coming back home and facing the Phillies. So what what can we expect from this road trip here for the Marlins? Is you know the Braves haven't exactly gotten off to a great start. They're probably looking to get hot. You know, it's now the second start for a lot of these young guys. What can you expect from the Marlins here going forward over the next week? Well, the, the Braves and Marlins don't love each other. We know that dating back to last year. So it will certainly be interesting to see what happens. And all of the, the, the incidents that happened last year was really late in the season. And they didn't really play each other all that much after that. So I, I don't think that there will be a carryover from that. But Certainly things have already been testy with the umpires and Don Mattingly to begin. So I'm curious about that this weekend. But look, you're, you're facing Ronald Acuna, who just got his contract extension. 
you're facing Freddie Freeman, you're facing Ozzy Albies, Josh Donaldson, who is yet to kind of explode yet for them. So this weekend, the pressure again is going to be all on these young pitchers to see how they do. The friendly confines of Marlins Park are going to be long gone, and these young pitchers are going to have to throw strikes. And oh, by the way, when they leave Atlanta and they go to Cincinnati, you're going into one of the toughest ballparks of all yep. to succeed in. So the, the pressure clearly will be on the pitchers. But at the same time, hey, look, maybe this is the opportunity for Brian Anderson to get hot. Maybe this is the opportunity for Castro continue to hit. Maybe these long bombs that Jorge Alfaro are hitting that are not going out, yeah. maybe they will go out in Atlanta and they will go out in Cincinnati. So not the worst thing in the world to have an offense that seems to be getting on base but not driving in those runs. Maybe those runs will start to come in on the road. I don't know, but they do have a pretty ominous task ahead of them when you're talking about playing at Atlanta, playing at Cincinnati, and then coming back to play against the Philadelphia Phillies and Harper and the return of, of JT Real Muto next week. So uh, certainly I watch as much or as many of the games as I possibly can, but as the season develops, for me, this is all about their pitchers. This is all totally. about developing these kids so that in 2020, when they do decide to jump into the free agent offensive pool, which I do think they will do next year at least a little bit, mm -hmm. you now have four or three guys very solid in this rotation to build around. And so far, so good. Those results have been very positive for them. Yeah, that's going to be the theme all season, is just watching these guys, the entertainment value of seeing the young starting pitchers that will be with this franchise going forward. Uh, someone brought up to me the other day, it's, it's reminiscent of the time when it was a young Josh Johnson, Annabelle Sanchez, Ricky Nolasco, those types of guys coming up who all had really good, for the most part, major league careers, except hopefully in this scenario, these guys will be with the Marlins for years and years and years to come. Yeah, uh, and, and, and the other thing too that's going to happen that you can see from the games they've played against the Rockies and Mets is when you don't hit very well, and I know the Marlins have hit okay, Right. You know, first you know, few days, but they're not going to hit over the course of the season. No. It's, I don't think so. But when you pitch very well and you don't hit very well, Quick you're games. in every game. Yep. These games are, unlike last year, they're going to be very, every game is going to go down to the end. The exactly. games are going to be super exciting, more than anybody even anticipates. Obviously, there's going to be a game here or there, just like the game with Arania the other night where he gave up five runs in the first inning. But then after that, there were no runs scored. So potentially you could be seeing the Marlins involved in one or two run games. In Almost all year. A, a ton of games this and even losing in those games to see if they end up coming back. But again, the games are close. you got to stay through the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning. Right. This isn't like last year where Tazawa's coming in the game and boom, they <laughs> give up four or five runs and it's a wrap. I don't think that that's going to be the case this year. So we are in store for win or lose probably some of the closest Marlins games we've seen in a long time because the pitching is so good. They're going to keep them in a lot of games this year. Yeah, shameless plug. I'm actually going to have a piece on this concept on 5reasonsports.com coming later this week, so you guys can be sure to check that out. I'll tweet it from my account and from the Swings and Mishes page. Before we get to this quick break, uh, before we get into your interview with Mel Stottlemyre Jr., any uh, tidbits that we should know there before going into it? Well, I think that for those of you who have listened to this podcast that you understand that I've covered baseball for more than 20 years. And so the generic type of baseball questions can be asked to everybody on a daily basis. I think for doing this podcast, my interest 
is getting to know people a little bit more beyond the game, trying to do background research and understand a little bit about what makes people tick. So after this interview, or even during the interview, if you are listening, it is really important to me, not just to subscribe and to like this podcast, but also to let me know if you like the style of interviews that I'm conducting here. If you appreciate the things that people are saying, is it, do you want more baseball talk? Do you want more life talk? The only way that this podcast can succeed on more than a level of just us doing it every week is for you guys to engage us at Swings and Mishes. Of course, my Twitter handle at Craig Mish and Jeremy's is at Jeremy Taché. So more than anything else, let us know. Rate the podcast. During the interview, tell us some of the things that you like, some of the things that you don't like. I'm completely fine with that because right. as you'll hear when I talk to Mel Stottlemyre Jr., the Marlins pitching coach, we'll spend coming up here the first 10 minutes or so with talking just about who he is and what he has done and the life that he has had in baseball and his father and his brother. And those are the things that interest me. So if they interest you, let me know, let us know on social media, let us know via the podcast. But I do think that if you're a fan of the work that I do and the interview style that I have, I think you really will enjoy this because it'll teach you a little bit about who he is, his family. And then of course we will get into the Marlins and their starting pitching. Right, and this is a real, real baseball family. And Mel Sotomayor Jr. is a real baseball man. So I really enjoyed listening to this interview. I think you guys will, too. Uh, stick around. We have a quick read from Brass Jazz, as you know him, on 5ReasonSports.com, and we'll get right into this interview. You're listening to the 5 Reason Sports Network. We've created a menu of intelligent and entertaining content on demand for commutes, workouts, and more. And by now, you're already familiar with the 15 different podcasts in our network. Today, we are proud to announce the premiere of our brand new website, 5 On it, you'll find columns from more than a dozen of our hosts, many who are professional writers in the market. Watch original videos from shows like Miami Heat Beat and Balls Cast. Browse our full merchandise shop. And unlike other outlets in the area, there's no paywall. Everything is absolutely free. All of this from a network that's credentialed from all five major sports teams in South Florida. Oh yeah, did we mention that it's free? We're by Miami for Miami. We're sports on your schedule. We're Miami Sports On Demand. We're the 5 Reason Sports Network. Go to 5ReasonSports.com today. So uh, spring training comes, and I have the opportunity every year to take my son to games. And the one thing that we do is he likes to have items and all of these things to, to get signed by different players. And so we get to your name, Mel Stottlemyre Jr. He doesn't know a lot about you. He doesn't know who you are. And I, and I say to my son, well, let's go in the garage and see what we can find here. So we go in the back, and we're looking through boxes and boxes of cards. And I have this mind's vision that I used to have a card of Mel Stottlemyre Jr. on the 1990 Kansas City Royals. And so I end up having that. Do you have any idea and go back like you don't seem like the kind of guy that's going to have 5,000, 10,000 of your cards somewhere in a garage, but you know, you, you did have baseball cards. You are a very prominent member of major league baseball for a long time, but I had to dig to find that card. I felt good about it. 
And to answer your question, <laughs> I, I actually have to dig as well. You know, in the uh, short time that I spent in the big leagues, through that process, I had eight surgeries. So <clears throat> if they were ever going to make a baseball card of me, it was going to be on a training table yeah. with all the surgeries. And so, yeah, eight surgeries in uh, parts of, of eight seasons to get up to the big leagues, which was a, uh, a great, you know, a big highlight for me pitching in Yankee Stadium where my dad spent all the years mm -hmm. as a pitcher and be able to do that in, in my first major league uh, appearance. But uh, if, if you're looking for a more prominent Stottlemyre, you would find my dad, of course, and my brother Todd, who spent 12 years in the big leagues. I don't think that people recognize that, and we'll get into your family in just a minute. And what it doesn't say on the back of that Topps card, which you did sign for my son, so thank you very much during spring training, is it doesn't say all the Hall of Famers that you faced in your short period of time in the big leagues. So I went back and looked, and I did see that you faced a number of them. Do you have any idea of potentially some Hall of Famers that you may have faced and how you fared against? Because you'd be shocked, maybe not shocked, to know how well you pitched against some of them. Well, probably uh, maybe Cal Ripken Jr. Over four. My, uh, I did not know that. Now you do. Uh, pro yeah, pro probably a mistake. I caught it. Definitely caught him on a bad day. Uh, I don't know if I if I faced Don Mattingly or not. I don't think that he was in there, but I know that Ken Griffey Jr. was. And do you remember what happened in that at bat? <clears throat> I think I remember throwing him a change up. Maybe he popped up. You got him out. Okay. You got him out. That's good. We're hot. We're, so so far, zero for five against Hall of Famers. You faced Robin Yount three times. Do you have any idea what he did? He's a Hall of Famer. I don't, but I know the player and the name. Uh, you know, I was up there for a short period of time. I know, but and I like digging. And, and, I like and, the digging. And you're, you're, you're really, things are a blur. Uh, and I've never really, I've never been one, like you said, to, to go back and dig. So I don't know. Mm -hmm. Shame you, 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 over three against you, too. Another oh. Hall of Famer. And then one more that another Hall of Famer that you were over two against. I do my research for these things. I don't come in dark and just ask questions about okay. Marlins pitching staff. That's probably <clears> what you <throat> thought you were getting. Uh, Frank Thomas faced him. I was going to say, there was a game that I got a spot start. I remember I came up, I was a closer in the minor leagues, and I came up as a bullpen guy. Saberhagen got hurt. Uh, prior to me, the two previous years in the minor leagues, as a closer, I was a starter. So Saberhagen went down. I got a spot start against the Chicago White Sox. I gave up a, a leadoff single to, I believe, Lance Johnson, maybe, and that was the only hit that I gave up. Uh, for the rest of the game, which was seven innings. So I left 0-0, zero, zero, uh, gave up the one hit, and I know that I faced Frank Thomas a couple times. Yeah, And he was over 2 So the only Hall of Famer that I could currently find that got a hit off you in the short period of time that you had a career uh, was Edgar Martinez. That was the only one that I was able to find. So you did very well. You should. I, I understand how you probably have gone through so much over the course of your career and your life that you don't look back on it. But even though players have had short careers, there's something about me, at least, that runs to the Internet to say, well, I remember this guy. Let me go back and see what he did against these certain guys. Mel, uh, what is in Idaho? Um, you live in Idaho there, and I've always been a little fascinated for uh, hearing about different people there. Um, what, what goes on there? Why, why did you choose to live there? Yeah, you know, a lot of people ask me that. It's like, why would you want to go back to Idaho, first of all? Uh, 
from the Northwest, Pacific Northwest. Used to hunt and fish a lot with my dad. He took us over to Lewiston, Idaho to elk and deer hunt and to steelhead fish, and uh, which was three hours from our hometown, Yakima. So I spent a lot of time over there as a kid. And uh, when I got done playing, uh, was starting a family, wanted to raise a family in kind of a small town community. It's uh, there's some mountains nearby. There's some very prominent steelhead rivers, uh, which allowed me. To, I, I own a fishing business now, mm-hmm. and uh, I've had that for a lot of years. Started that with my dad, and uh, have six or seven full-time guides. And so I love the outdoors uh, and and the small town. My wife's from Georgia, and we just felt like it was a great place to to raise people or to raise our family. Uh, it's not that I don't like people, but there's only 1.2 million people in Idaho, and I tend to be a, a bit of a recluse in the winter, you know. You know what baseball is like, and, and you know the season, how it can be uh, very grueling. And uh, it's just nice to unwind and hear the water and see the critters. Yeah, I was going to say that and ask the question that from the second the season ends to the second that you have to be back wherever you are, and in this case I suppose it was Jupiter, would you say that it is pretty much – I shut down mode, I shut phone off mode and, and just enjoy that? Is it is it that kind of thing for you? After the season? Actually, I have to race back home uh, and hoping we get to the playoffs, first of all. Sure. We're here to win some games. But, uh, uh, yeah, as soon as the season's over, I have a, a, a group from France that comes in for 11 days, and I fish them 11 days straight. So, I actually, I work. I'm on the water five to six days a week. Uh, I like to stay active. I like people um, in my jet boat going up and down the river that's my office and my wife runs the business all the bookings accounting and stuff so it's you know it's a great it's a great avenue to not only unwind but I get to meet some new people and uh, some people get in my boat never even know that I'm a baseball player and uh, then they'll come back and rebook and find out and then we'll have the conversations uh, about baseball but most people uh, especially from the northwest they, they know our family and uh, it's just it's great to just be a normal person. Do the people from France speak English? Like, do they are they fluent? How did how did that happen? How did that work out? I don't know. We built our website, and we we got people from all over the world, and uh, they don't speak very good English. And so I've learned to how to just to to read them, kind of like I do my pictures. Sometimes you read their face, and and you can tell when they don't like something. And uh, over the years, you know, you build up that friendship. And although the, the dialogue is kind of non-existent, uh, we, we got a different, different friendship and a different relationship. So uh, I enjoy those. Do you think that when you're done being a pitching coach at some point that it would be 12 months a year full-time doing what you do there? No. Okay, so what else would it be? Uh, well, I run my fishing business. Uh, you know, we've had uh, baseball camp businesses We've owned sporting goods, business, uh, indoor batting cage, everything, you know, geared towards baseball, and then fishing and hunting outfitters. So uh, I I like to stay active. I love the outdoors. I love people. So I'll continue that. I I don't want baseball to go away anytime soon. I'm really enjoying myself here. Now, your brother, I'm in competition with him because he has a podcast, I guess. <laughs> and and I know that for people who don't know, and this is going back to, you know, I remember Todd pitching and winning World Series and, and things of that nature. But do you guys communicate at all? Like, how did he start up a podcast? And how did he become kind of the person he is now, very you know, uplifting and talking about positivity and the things that he does? Yeah, you know, I, I really admire some of the things that he's doing 
today, and he chose to not get into baseball after his long baseball career, and uh, just trying to inspire and motivate people. And you know, he can take him back to his baseball days. As you know, my brother very wired tight. Uh, sometimes wouldn't you know be make the best decisions and thinking his way through things, and would jump and react and wore, wore his uh, emotions on his shirt sleeve. So something my dad kind of frowned about, but. Uh, you know, he's wrote a book now, and uh, he's found his little niche in life. He, he loves to speak in front of people, and he can, he can do that from, from example, from experiences, and it's kind of, you know, do as I say, not as I did. And he's learned a lot about himself, too, so I admire what he's doing. He stays on the road. He's all over the world speaking to corporations, and uh, as, I, as I said, he wrote a book, and just trying to motivate people, and uh, he's having fun with it. We're talking about Todd Stottlemyre, Mel's brother, who won three World Series, and for those of you who are listening, very easy to pull your phone up, pull up your Internet browser and Google him if you're young and you have no idea who he was. Excellent pitcher for many, many years. And then we come to, obviously, your father, who uh, one of the greatest pitching coaches of all time, arguably should be a Hall of Famer, when I'm watching old Yankees videos, I'm seeing him, great person, great player, and then obviously this year had to be a, a very difficult year for you, and that's part of the story as to kind of just the amazing trek that it took the Stottlemyre family to get where they are. What what kind of <clears throat> this year, how did it – how did you get through that part? Yeah, a lot, obviously a lot of emotions that go with that. But, you know, I, I look back uh, – I look back in, in the way that I was raised from my family. I really pinch myself uh, looking back, getting raised in Yankee Stadium, being with my dad, being able to see what it's like to, to be a Major League Baseball player and be in a clubhouse uh, you know, with guys like Mickey Mantle, Thurman Munson, Yogi Berra, and, and on and on and on. Uh, Don Zimmer, Joe Torre, all the greats that my dad coached. and What a great platform. Uh, that he provided both my brother and I, you know, to go on and, and not only uh, try to follow in his footsteps as, as a coach and as a player, but to, uh, to raise us the right way and to, to teach us all those important things that I ask my pitchers to do, you know, work with the work ethic and, and paying attention to details and being able to push and, and at the same time being able to, to enjoy the game and, and respect the game and people. And uh, he did a good job, I think. You know, it's – but, uh, this yeah, this last year was, was tough. You know, he's uh, – I will say, you know, with that, that ugly dreaded disease that he fought for, for 19 years, you know, they gave him three years and uh, he, he lasted 19 and so the doctors provided us, uh, uh, you know, a lot more fishing and hunting trips together, more conversations uh, over a campfire in the winter talking about baseball, and uh, very thankful for that. Mel Sr., there's a patch on Yankees jerseys this year honoring him. Again, one of the greatest pitching coaches in the history of the game. The one thing that Yankees players will tell you, from my knowledge in coaching, uh, understanding how coaches work, is that they would always say that Mel Stottlemyre always had players' backs. Uh, Brad Ziegler, who played for many years in the big leagues when you were hired, uh, told me point blank, I've pitched, I've pitched for so many pitching coaches. Mel Stottlemyre Jr. has players' backs like no other pitching coach that I've had. So as we move this conversation to baseball, why is that so important for you? Well, he raised my brother and I that way. 
uh, with respect, uh, very firm and fair with his message, and uh, all, you know we always felt his love. And I remember when I was getting into coaching, and he was talking me through just some of the guys that he had coached and some of the experiences and relationships he had built along the way that he talked about those players being, you know, his second family. And I can only tell you how good it was in our household, you know, to have a, a dad and, and my mother as well to, uh, to support us, but to push us and make sure we stayed down the right road. And uh, when he had to have those tough love conversations, he was there for that, and we could count on that. You know, and I want to be that for my players as well. I know my dad spent a lot of extra time taking guys fishing, taking them to dinner, inviting them to his charity tournaments, and getting to know the person. You know, and I believe in that. It's I, I dug in, did a lot of homework this winter when I was hired, and I was really excited to to jump on and be a part of a, an organization that was, you know, almost at a at a point to where they could start to make some headway and see some light and. Uh, I needed to give those players some breathing room and, uh, you know, get, get, let them, allow them to, to be themselves and get to know me before I dug in and offered too much advice. And uh, that's hard. You know, when you're, when you're a new coach or a young coach, you know, the one thing that you tend to want to do is to overdo it and jump in and, you know, and slam things down on them and, and, and press them too quick. So, uh, there's a grace period that goes by where you you certainly you want to get to know him. So that that's important. Uh, that same message comes from Derek Jeter, and uh, you know who who spent all the years with my dad. And I know how my dad treated treated Derek, and Derek treats the players the same way. And Don Mattingly and Tim Wallach, and you know, and right down the chain. So uh, that is important. I raised my kids with with those same those same upbringings and those same lessons and those same messages. We were in 15 minutes in. We haven't even really gotten to baseball yet, so we'll we'll make it short here. But I would add that in spring training, you had one of the maybe the most poignant comments, and I don't know exactly what the quote was, but something to the extent of this is the best group of arms or something like this is the best group of arms ever. Now, I've covered this team a long time. I've covered this organization a long time, and they've run through Jose Fernandez's and Josh Beckett's, A.J. Burnett's, Brad Penny's. They've had some phenomenal pitchers. You've seen Felix Hernandez pitch. You've seen the guys in Arizona pitch too. How was it that you saw something that, by the way, not a lot of people on the outside saw because it's starting to come to fruition? Well, you know, from looking from the outside, it's, uh, you, you know, when you look at talent, it can be dangerous in making statements like that. And I, I think I even caught myself uh, mentioning the word potential and it, it can be dangerous in talking about potential and ceilings if we don't do our job to help shape and develop these guys and in, into where they can be productive and, and you can take all those skills and all those weapons that they have and, and make them usable. So, you know, uh, and what I meant by that, and I've had some, some good pitching staffs, you know, Brandon Webb and had, had Randy Johnson just for a little bit and Dan Heron and James Paxson and Hernandez and Iokuma. I've had some good ones. But in terms of just sheer stuff, you know, when you look at the ceiling of Sandy Alcantara and, 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 and Lopez and, you know, even Urena, who's still got some developing to do and, you know, with Richards not being so much of a stuff guy, but just having potential and some guys in the bullpen, 
you see a lot of those things that baseball people tend to take a look at that really catches your eye, which is stuff. And so it's, it's you know, my job and our job, the organization's job, to be able to mesh and, and close that gap on, you know, potential and, and usability and actually going out and being able to service that stuff. So we're starting to see some glimpses. It's early in the season, and I'm not going to ride that roller coaster because I, I understand that process, and I understand the ups and downs and what young pitchers can go through. And uh, but they're on the right track, and we've, as an organization, we've spent a lot of time uh, in spring training talking about our approach, our identity, and, and things we want to accomplish as a pitching staff. And so I'm proud of what they've done so far, but we got a lot of work. As we wrap it up, Mel, they all seem so impressive, one through five. We we're talking about and making the comments that if you didn't know any better, and I know that the way that the rotations are structured these days isn't always your number one is your number one and so on and so forth. But you could flip this rotation on its head five through one and people would probably believe, hey, that's the order of, of how good they are as, a, as you know, a fan looking from the outside looking in. So, like, how good can this rotation be? Can can this be maintained over the course of a whole season? I don't ever recall four pitchers and even five with Arania this young being so electric right out of the gate. Well, I'm, I'm an optimist, and, uh, you know, it's going to be Dean and I's job to make sure that they, that they first of all, stay on track, and, and the, other, the other thing is they understand they're going to get off track. And, you know, our, then our job will be is to try to get them back on track as quick as we can. But to answer your question, it, it's very exciting. And uh, Caleb Smith in our, in our five hole and Sandy Alcantara, you know, who threw eight innings in his first outing of shutout baseball and was absolutely brilliant, you know, is, is our four man. So you could flip it. And they all, you know what, they all add a, a little dimension and they do things differently. Uh, and I like that about them. We don't want cookie-cutter guys, and, you know, they all have different weapons to navigate through lineups. But uh, I think the common uh, – I'm hoping the common theme can be that they're all going to attack, get themselves in good counts, and have an edge to to who they are out there. And uh, I want other clubs to take notice. And multiple baseball cards for all of them in the end, not just a couple. That, that's, that's the goal. I, I tell them all, I said, you know, I spent all the years on the training table and – when I come up and I talk to you about, you know, cutting back and pulling the reins back in some, you know, some areas, as I was the expert, and so there's there's some substance to that. That was Mel Stottlemyre Jr. with Craig and Craig. Uh, what are your thoughts about everything that Stottlemyre had to say about his personal life, about his dad, about you know maybe the Marlins pitching? What are some of the things that you took away from that interview? Yeah, I, I take away for it that for six or seventh months out of the out of the year, Mel Stottlemyre Jr. is going to be a baseball lifer like his dad. Hmm. And the other half of the year, he has a lot of other interests in terms of the outdoors and fishing. And he has some great stories to tell about the game. And don't think for a second that his passion for doing everything off the field doesn't carry over to on the field. I think that them hiring him may end up being one of the best coaching decisions that they have ever made. Yep. The accolades that I have heard about him and the way that he manages pitchers, and by the way, manages personalities, which was the strong trait of Mel Stottlemyre Sr. and Joe Torre. These guys certainly were tacticians in terms of the game, but these 
these managers and these people knew how to speak and manage people. And part of what this job is, is understanding who they are. You heard him during the interview saying that sometimes with, with the people that he takes out on his fishing trips, they don't speak any English. And his job is to kind of read how they're thinking and how they're feeling. And don't think for a second that real life doesn't translate over to baseball. That's kind of how this is. And so I was very happy to walk, have him walk me through some of his ideas. And although we didn't dive into the specifics of sliders and curveballs and fastballs, I feel like that can be done at any time. And at some point we can certainly do that. But I think that he in particular is going to be with this organization for a number of years. Remember, he was handpicked by this current regime to be this pitching coach. And so I would think that you're looking at three, four, five years even potentially of, a, of him being here. And I do want to say thank you to him also for opening up on the passing of his father, who to me, along with, I would say, uh, Dave Duncan of the St. Louis Cardinals and Leo Mazzoni of the Atlanta Braves. In my days of growing up with the game and watching the game, I put them really at the pinnacle of the last 20 years of pitching coaches. There are some great ones now in the game too, but I really want to thank him for all of the time that he gave me. And I feel like he enjoyed it after doing the interview as well. When we were done, he had said, I, I apologized to him and I had said, Mel, I'm sorry that we didn't dive into as much pitching as maybe you wanted to. And he stopped me right there. And he's like, no, 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 not just my story. There are so many other great stories to tell in baseball and, and, and it should be done. And so I thank you for all of the time there. And thank you, by the way, to the Marlins for allowing me to sit down with Mel Stottlemyre Jr. for as long as I did. Appreciate that. Yeah, he was fantastic. And it's like you said, being able to communicate without, an actual spoken language is something that can be really important in today's game specifically. And you look at the Marlins rotation specifically, obviously, um, you know, there's some language barriers, but yeah, Milstad Meyer Jr. was incredible. I really enjoyed that interview. And like Craig said earlier in the podcast, please let us know what you think. You can tweet at either of us individually at Craig Mish at Jeremy Taché or tweet at our podcast at Swings and Mishes. We'll check out anything you guys have to say. And really can, you know, be continuing to revamp this podcast as we go along because we just want this to be the best product for you guys, our listeners. Uh, any final thoughts, Craig, before we wrap this up? Yeah, just a quick mention. Again, All Year Cooling is now part of our family here on Swings and Mishes. And every time after a Marlins win, we'll have the All Year Cooling player of the game posted on Swings and Mishes on our Twitter feed. So when they win, you can expect that after the game. And if you guys have any suggestions as to who you think should be the player of the game, let us know on Twitter, on social media, at Jeremy Taché, at Craig Mish, at Swings and Mishes. When they win, they're cool, and all-year cooling is certainly cool in our book. So we will do that after every Marlins win this season. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of Swings and Mishes.